I want to think about something. I'm, I'm going to kind of stay away from the title for just a minute rather than I normally do because I want to tell you how I got to it and how the Lord really totally restructured this whole whole message and why we're two weeks in on a few verses here at the end as Paul talks about his friends. So I made Charlene read again because uh, she read last week and, you know, we stopped on like verse 24, so we didn't make it very far. Uh, so I said, well, you got to finish out so that I can try to finish out. And it just want to remind us of where we had been. You know, we asked last week about all these famous people and we took a test and I think we were in agreement that most of us really didn't know any of the answers of the top richest and the top famous and the top athletes and the most beautiful and the most advanced. And, and I said, but we all agreed that we did know those people that had touched our lives, those people that had impacted us, those people that had influenced us, those people that had taught us something, those people that we would answer the phone for if they called, you know, and those people that we would want to spend time with. And it just flows right into where Paul's at still as he's talking about this second friend that he has on this list of only two friends that, that really matter at this moment in this stage of his ministry. And it just made me think, some of the greatest people are really unknown individuals. Some of the greatest people we know personally are really unknown by the world. You know, they serve behind the scenes. They have no desire for the spotlight. Their names aren't known to many. But not only are their names known to us, but but like this, this guy right here in, in Timothy, their names are known to God. And that's probably something better to be known by than any book or record keeping kind of thing. And I had to jot down, and I thought you guys would appreciate even though my wife's not going to like it. Uh, Epaphroditus is not a disease. Um, when I read it and, and read it, and I actually pronounced the name right that time, so I was super proud of myself. That probably won't happen every time I say it. But, you know, it sounds like appendicitis, or it sounds like all these, all these diseases that are out there. He's not. He's a friend. He's somebody that matters a lot to Paul. He's a servant of Paul. And, and as we get to the end of chapter 2 right here, you know, he, he's only showing up twice in the Bible, by the way. So for a lot of us, we've probably never even heard of the guy. Because um, this is all he's mentioned is here then in chapter 4. And maybe that's our, our number one lesson. I didn't have it as our, our three main lessons. But maybe lesson number one is this. You know, some of God's choice servants go unnoticed. Some of God's best ministers aren't the famous ones. They serve behind the scenes. They, they tend to stuff. You've never read their books or, or heard their music or, or seen their TV shows because they don't have none. But nonetheless, they're, they are some of God's greatest workers in the field. And I would say Epaphroditus falls in that category 100%. He's a layman. He's got no official position in the church. He's not a deacon, at least not that we know of. He's not an elder. He's not a pastor. He's a friend. He's a servant. And Paul, like as he gives us this good example of, of Epaphroditus, he gives us a greater principle of why this guy's so important. Because he serves, he loves, and he's humble. And it brings us back to the beginning of chapter 2. Beginning says this, If therefore there is anyone, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of his love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, being united, being knit together, having the same love, the same mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or consight, but in lowliness of mind. Let each other consider others better than themselves. Let each of you look out, not only for their own interest, but for the interest of others. And Paul hammers that humility and we hammered it for, I don't know, two or three different weeks. And then he took time to go into an example and he gave us Jesus Christ in verse five, you know, in the example that he did. Then he, then he listed himself in verse 17 about pouring himself out like that drink offering that the, the priest would have did back in the day. And he says, I do this joyfully. Like I'm glad to do this. Christ left his throne and considered himself made of no reputation to be made like us. And I think a lot of us, like I believe the Philippian church would have been, we look at these examples and we're like, great, i got to be like Jesus. 
which makes sense. And that, that's true. But man, he's Jesus. You know, how do you be like Jesus? We talk all the time, sometimes sitting around the shop or, or Wednesday nights, either while we're eating up in the upper room and, and just thinking like Jesus did it so perfect, man. Like he balanced everything spot on. I don't know how he was able to be so good at doing it all so right. And I think Paul understood that. So then he gives us himself as an example. But I'm like, man, like Paul's Paul's probably the greatest apostle, the greatest influence of Christianity in Scripture. You know, how do you compete with a guy like that? He had so much discernment, so much under his understanding of Scripture at this stage in, 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 in the time of life was miles above everybody else. I mean, till to this day, we're using his interpretations to understand stuff like how do I relate to that? And I think Paul would have understood that. So he says, let me give you two more. Common examples. Last week we looked at Timothy and covered him. And then this week we get this guy, Epaphroditus, the, the second friend on the, the list of two friends that Paul says have made the biggest difference in this ministry journey. Why he's on house arrest, might I mind you. And I just want to give us a little bit of background about this guy first, like we did Timothy. He, uh, he was a convert of Paul on one of his missionary journeys. Uh, he was a Gentile, which means he wasn't Jewish. Uh, he came from the pagan world in, in Philippi. And if you were to Google his name, you would see fancy things like charming or lovely or handsome. Uh, I don't know if that really describes how he looks. I don't have a Polaroid of him or anything like that. But I think that's a stretch of, of what it would really mean in the original. If you think about where this guy's from and, and what this means, Epaphroditus literally means the beloved of Aphrodite. The beloved of Aphrodite. Now, everybody knows who Aphrodite is. You've read about him in movies or school or, you know, we've even or her, you know, before in this thing. It's the goddess of love. So this guy, by his parents, his name, he's, he's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. He's from a pagan world. His parents are most likely so pagan that they named him after a Greek goddess of love and fertility, the, the Roman equivalent of, of Venus of that time. And, and this is the background that he has. And yet on one of Paul's missionary journeys, he chooses to leave all that behind and jump on board with starting to move for the kingdom rather than a lost kingdom. And, and I just point that out because I think sometimes we overlook the history of people and their backgrounds and, and we overlook our own sometimes and we use it as an excuse of why I can't be this or, or why I can't do that or you don't understand where I came from or, or you don't understand what my family's been like their whole life or you don't understand the reputation we have. And scripture tells me over and over by every example it gives, he don't care. He don't care. He wants to accept and use everybody into this kind of thing and, and motivate and change them to advance the kingdom. So, so you've got, you know, just that little bit of history about his background, which is all we really have. And then you got today while Paul's sitting in jail, house arrest, you know, he's, he's not allowed to leave. He can only, which they keep this in mind. I shared this on week one of this, this letter. If you're on house arrest in the Roman venture, they would literally watch you starve to death if you didn't have any friends to bring you food and money. That soldier would literally sit there and watch you wither away to nothing and die in chains in your house. You know, if, if nobody brought you anything. So. You could look at house arrest if you had loving, good friends as a good thing. Well, they're allowed to come. I'm just not allowed to leave. Um, kind of a, a, a weird version of our COVID, I guess. Uh, but at, at the same time, if nobody was willing to come and nobody wanted to hang out with you and this Roman soldier that you're chained to, man, you had nothing. There's no going to the grocery store. There's no, you know, going home. I mean, none of that. None of that. So, so look at these verses. Verse 25. I want to set the stage and then tell you what. What the Lord really revealed to me that gave us the lessons. And he says this in verse 25. I considered it necessary to send to you. What he's saying is this. I've written this letter. This is kind of a weird spot in the middle of the letter to say this. I've written this letter and this guy's going to be the one that's bringing it to you. 
You sent him to me, and now I'm going to send him back to you. He's our he's our messenger boy. He got sick. Why he's sick with me, I'm going to send him back to you. And, and then, which we'll come back to this in a minute, he calls him a bunch of things. He says, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow fellow soldier. He values the partnership of this guy. Brother speaks of a relationship to be enjoyed. Worker speaks of a job that's got to get done. Soldier speaks of a battle that's got to be fought. And as he's going through this thing, he says, your messenger, a couple more titles, the one you sent to minister to my need. He brought a gift. So Paul's just telling him what happened. Like you sent this guy, he brought a financial gift. We know it's financial because of Philippians chapter four. You know, he brought some money for me to take care of my needs and and tend to me, did a good job. But then he got sick. And when he got sick, you guys heard that he got sick. So when you guys heard that he got sick and you were worried about him, he found out that you were worried about him. So now he's worried about your feelings because you're worried about his feelings and the anxiety that he's causing for you. You're now causing for him because you guys are so connected. I said all that right. That was pretty good. Right. But you got to understand what, what, what Paul's getting at. He goes, I need you to understand like this guy. He got sick. Sure. And verse 26, here, here's what really made the difference for me. This is beyond that physical sickness, I believe. Verse 26, it says, and he had a longing for you all. He's homesick. He misses his friends. He misses being back home. He misses that, that home base. The English New English translation, if, you, if anybody in church has that, renders it this way. He greatly missed all of you. And what I think is happening and what I think totally changes some of the lessons we get is not only did Epaphroditus, man, I was doing so good, get physically sick. In the process of getting physically sick, the other church heard about it, his home church. They got so worried about it, he realized they cared for him. He now gets homesick. So now it's beyond that physical sickness. He's missing home. And Paul says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send him back to you guys. And when Paul says that, I don't know, I don't know if you guys are getting it yet. That right there to me was boom. Because I told you a minute ago, Paul's the greatest apostle, I believe, in scripture. You know, not know Jesus, but he's the greatest apostle, right? He's done more for the church than anybody else. And I'm thinking like this guy is like Jesus is, is up there, but like he's he's right here, right? He's a little bit above me, so he's gotta be like he's way above me. So, so, so he's up there, and I'm thinking there's nothing else this guy could possibly do to get more right. I mean, he had all his religious training. He gives us this resume of his life. And then when he finally understands who Christ is, he leaves for three years to get himself more right. I mean, he's done it all. And then there's a moment like this. I don't know if you guys are getting it yet, but it's going to be awesome. I'm telling you, man, it's cool, at least for me, because I'm looking at Paul like this, right? And Paul's attitude today is he's gracious. He's looking at a young guy who's weak and he's not making a big deal of it. He's building him up. He's honoring him. He's sending him back home. And when I read that and understood that, I said, man, Paul has now grown in grace more than he already had. Because let me tell you what I remembered about Paul in a very, a very similar situation. And maybe some of you are remembering right now, now that I'm getting there. His first missionary journey, him and Barnabas go on this trip. Barnabas says, man, I'm going to bring my nephew with me because we need another guy, John Mark. They go on this trip and everything's great. John Mark, it says in the first missionary journey in the book of Acts, it says that he got homesick. He missed his friends. He, he's exactly where Epaphroditus is right now. And Paul looks at him and says, you sorry. You're not allowed to say that word anymore. I don't know why. I was going to do it. But I saved it for you, baby. Oh, it's not a bad word. Don't mean to... Anyway, but like, but like Paul looks at him. He's like, man, you, you loser. So he deserts him. He goes back home. 
So much so that when they finished the missionary trip, you know, I mean, if you ever been on a missionary trip or you're traveling like that, they finish all this trip and they get to their last spot. And Paul says down with Barnabas, he goes, man, I want to go back and I want to check on every single one of the churches, every single one of the conference, every single one of them that made a commitment to, to join the kingdom and, and start to get their beliefs right. I want to go back and check on all because that's true missionary work right there. When you go back and check on those that you've converted. Evangelism is one thing, but discipleship and missionary work is a whole different. You better grow them up. So Paul tells Barney, he goes, we need to go back and we need to grow them up. Barney says, that is such a good idea. And Paul and Barney are planning it out. Barney's Barnabas, in case you didn't know. Like they're, they're planning it out. And Barney says, you know what? I'm going to bring my nephew with us again. Paul loses it. He said, you, you must have another nephew. You're going to bring who? And Barney says, I'm going to bring John Mark with us. Like he helped last time. Paul says he helped last time. That sorry dude, he left us. He deserted us. He sucks. I'm, I'm, that's where it's at. So much so, if you don't think it's that much of an argument, go back and read the book of Acts. It's the first missionary church split by two of our heroes of the faith, might I mind you. Since you're all thinking the same thing I've been thinking about, Paul, right? He says, man, I tell you what, if you want to bring your sorry nephew, you go on and go on your trip, and I'm going to go on my trip. That's how serious he gets. So do you understand now the attitude Paul has when somebody wants to just get homesick because they're on the missionary journey and go back. You see where he's at? So today you got years later. This, this is, guys, you cannot mature enough in the faith. This is one of the most mature believer examples we have in the faith. And here he is years later on house arrest, still maturing in the faith. He's saying, I ain't learned it all yet. I got to learn some more. And I think God gave him one more chance. You ever get a chance to redo something? I know you don't always get a chance to redo something, but you ever get a chance to redo something that you didn't do right the first time? If God gives you that chance, my goodness, take advantage of it. You know what I'm saying? Like if you screwed it up the first time, get it right the next time. You're not always going to get the next time, but sometimes people like Paul get a, they get another chance. And Paul's on a missionary journey. He's, he's in prison on a missionary journey, but he's on a missionary journey. And Epaphroditus comes with him. And he's there and he's minister and he's brought gifts and he's brought financial need. And I imagine he brought some food and some other stuff, too. And he got sick and he recovered. But after he recovers, he's not the same. He's moping around all day. Man, I wish I'd go home. Man, I wish I'd go see my friends. Man, I sure wish I didn't have to be here. I'm not really happy with where we're at. This sucks, man. Right. And Paul looks at him and he sees this. And rather than saying, you wimp, you weasel. You got for no good. He looks at him and he says, let me make this easy for you. I'm going to write this letter. It's a letter I need to write to the church. And you need to go back to that church. You need to get back home. I care about you. I care about your well-being. And, and if, if, if your anxiousness here is starting to affect my anxiousness, it's not going to be good for nobody. So he says this. He says, it's going to be better for me that you actually take this letter and go return this thing. You see Paul's change of heart? You see how awesome that is? And when you look at this story, and you see that Paul's totally changed how he handles a brother. And here's the lesson. I don't know if we can go back to the title page, but if we can, there, you know, there it is. This is how you treat Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is good. He's a good guy. He is. He's weak, but he's good. This is how you learn to treat good people and look past their faults. Because every good person has a lot of faults. Right? Every good person got some mistakes. Every good person you ain't going to get along with because y'all different. You know what I'm saying? They're not going to be wired the way you're wired. They're not going to handle situations the way you would handle situations. And it's so easy for us if we think we're mighty and we think we're strong to look at that weaker brother and their shortcomings and think, oh, 
Man, they're useless. Or we can act like Paul and we can understand. What did Paul write in Corinthians? He said, this is the, the, the body of Christ. And when he describes the body of Christ, I, th- I think we got there. He talks about the body having a lot of parts. First Corinthians uh, chapter 12. And he writes about these parts, and he says, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Think about what he's saying. He goes, you know, some of the body parts you see, I see your legs, I see your arms, I see your head, I see your ears. But he said, there's some parts of the body you don't see, and those parts you don't see, those are vital. I don't see your lungs, but if you ain't got them, you're dead. I don't see you, you know what I'm saying? I don't see your heart, but if your heart ain't pumping, you're gone. I don't see your brain, but if you ain't got one, you're not walking around doing nothing. And as Paul writes this thing, he says that the unseen, those, 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 those people that minister that mean the most to us that the rest of the world don't know about, those parts of the body that seem that are weaker are actually indispensable. And those parts that we think are less honorable, we should treat them with such special honor. See, everybody has strengths and everybody has weaknesses. Everybody has assets. Everybody has deficits. Everybody is gifted in some area. Everyone is not gifted in the other areas. Paul, you might be able to take me and chained up to the house. And sitting on on, on arrest forever. You might be the one who can go to every city and get in trouble and be okay with it. But not everybody else is wired that way. They're differently wired. Man, maybe you want to write down this lesson. Friendships flourish at the fountain of forgiveness. Friendships flourish at the fountain of forgiveness. When you can overlook somebody's faults and somebody's weaknesses, it goes such a long way. Oh, it takes us to a whole nother level, man. How you treat good, but imperfect people. That's, that's the title. That's the lesson. So, so now you kind of got point number two, which I'll get to in just a minute, but, but, but you really got it. So I'm going to start with point number one. So how do you treat imperfect people? How do you treat weaker people? Number one, you just acknowledge their strengths. I don't care who they are. They got strengths. You know what I'm saying? I don't care how bad, how evil, how wrong, how dirty, how different they are than you. They got some strengths. And that, that's all he does. Look at this thing. Go to verse 25. He lists all of them. You don't even know it was there. I'm serious. Acknowledge your strength. Verse 25. Paul uses five titles to describe this guy. Now, that's one thing when you only mentioned in Scripture twice. But you a step ahead of a lot of people because a lot of people ain't mentioned it in none. Right? But it's so cool when while you're mentioned, you get five strengths added to your name. Right? Look at what he says. I'm just going to go through them real quick. Number one, he says, Epaphroditus, he's my brother. He's my brother from another mother, but we got the same daddy. Right? I mean, that's what he's saying right here. And, and please understand me this now. Since we're, we're talking to the church, right? If you're not getting along with another Christian, at least acknowledge the fact that that's your brother or sister. You know how different that would make the way you handle stuff? If you don't like what another Christian's doing, at least come to terms with, you know what? That is my, that is my brother. Or that is my sister. Right? It'll help the way you treat them. It'll help the way you respond. Because when you realize that's your brother or sister, you're like, man, we're going to hang out in the kingdom forever together. If you got to spend eternity with somebody, you don't want no grudges over your head, right? So it changes everything, right? Now, this whole brother-sister thing, here's what I love. This is a whole new concept for this time frame. Who Paul's writing to and the wording that he's using here, the Greeks, they thought they were better than everybody else. You're either a Greek or you're barbarian. That was their two classes. That was it. That's all there is. There's no in-between stuff. You're the one of the Romans. They divided the world, the world into Roman citizens or those that are conquered or those that are about to be conquered. That's how they looked at it. You're either a Roman or you already conquered or we're about to conquer you. Like there was no in-between kind of stuff. 
So we're in a world, in our world today, divided by class, divided by culture, divided by race. I mean, so many things. And we can relate with this Greco-Roman culture where a church comes in, the idea of the church comes in, and it says we're just going to treat everybody who's saved the same. Now, we're going to take your idea of there only being two types of people, except for rather than being divided by class and by wealth and by location and by race and by job status, we're going to divide it by you either part of the kingdom or you're not part of the kingdom. Simple as you can get. And it blows their mind. They're like, what, what, do you, what do you mean? It means that the king is the same as somebody who's bankrupt if they're a believer. Not the king, but a king, right? It, it means that all of us divide. It means that you're a brother or sister in the society. I believe, I really do believe this. The answer to our divided society is getting this viewpoint. You know, understanding that we are one in Christ. I'm not talking about there being blacks, Hispanics, whites, Democrats, Republicans. or any. I'm saying if you're a Christian, you're my brother or sister in Christ. That's it. We are all in God's family. That should be an amen moment right there, guys. Seriously. Well, that should be a big, big thing that would impact and change this world. So much so, let's be honest about it. Sometimes you're closer with your spiritual family than you are with your physical family. Is that not true? I got friends, uh, uh, some people not even that close with, who will tell me like when, when I joined the church, like I felt more love there than I felt at my own home. Because you had an unbelieving family, like that's, that's expected. It's, it's not nice. It's not good, but it's understandable. You got you got people who would choose to go on a missionary journey, a missionary trip, and their family doesn't accept it because they don't have the same beliefs, and they get argument over it rather than encouraging over it. I don't understand why you got to do that. I don't, no support, no build up, just I don't agree with. But the reality is, your church family is going to be the one to. I'm going to support you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to get you through. I'm, I'm going to get you to where God has called you to be. So God has provided us with a family that we can grow with, walk with, and, and advance with. So much so, I didn't think about this till the other night. So much so that Jesus is teaching. And in the middle of one of his teaching opportunities, I was going through Matthew, trying to get ahead of us men on Wednesday. And, and he's going through this teaching and his mom and his brothers come in. Why he's teaching. And he gets to this lesson and he says, who is my brother? Can you imagine preaching this with your brother and your mom sitting in the crowd? He says, who is my brother? Who is my sister? Who is my mother? And they're probably like, oh, it's me, Jesus. Jesus, I'm your brother. And his mom was like, oh, that's my boy. Yeah, that's my boy right there. He's talking about me. And Jesus says, not you, woman. Not you, man, because here's what he answers. He said, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, my sister and my mother. Jesus himself kind of cuts the line clear as day. And their probably hands went down and they they looked down for the rest of the, the service. He's my brother. That's a compliment. That's a strength. You can't you can't you can't develop that kind of relationship without investing into it. You got to investigate that kind of mentality. Right. Second thing he says about it. Not only is this my brother, he says he's a fellow worker. Still in 25. Look at him. He's my fellow worker. Epaphroditus has gone from Philippi to Rome. Anybody remember how many miles that is? I know you wrote it down, but I don't have time for you to look it up. So 800 miles. 800 miles. In this culture, this time, that's a six-week journey. And we know that Epaphroditus from chapter 4 volunteered for this job. He volunteered to take a six-week journey. Now, there ain't no Walmart along the way. You don't get to pack a freezer with you and take it with you and, and all that kind of stuff. A six-week journey, 800 miles, he volunteers to do this. If you turn to chapter 4, the only other time Epaphroditus' name is even mentioned, just since we're trying to construct a, a profile for this guy, I want to look at verse 14 through 17 real quick. Now you Philippians know that also in the beginning of the gospel, I departed from Macedonia. No church. You know, it's one thing when your physical family can desert you. 
But can you imagine the feeling when your spiritual family ain't there too? Look at what he says. No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving. Man, we got two missionary families. That'd be like the Peels and the Deals when they were raising money, right? Going to all these churches and at the end of a year saying, well, we got zero dollars. They didn't share in our concern. They didn't share in our need. That's what he's saying. But you only. So he's telling this Philippian church, he goes, you guys, you guys are the only reason I was able to do this because you funded everything. For even in Thessalonica, you did send you, uh, you did send aid once and again for my necessities. It means the money ran out. And Paul knew who he could lean on. So he somehow got word to the Philippians and the Philippians got whatever that need was back to him, his necessities, as he calls it in this verse. In other words, nobody else was financially supporting him except for you guys. And you've done it again, he says. Through Epaphroditus. Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift. It ain't what I, it ain't what it's about. I'm not trying to find the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. He's saying because of you guys giving this gift, there's going to be some fruit that's produced from this thing. He's got no doubt of the, the, the production that's going to happen because of their giving and because of them jumping on board with this, right? Indeed, I have all in the bound. I, I am full having received from everybody. It's the thing sent from you. A sweet he goes back to that old Old Testament kind of illustration, a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. Now, for those that don't remember back in that, that, that illustration from the Old Testament with the, the sweet smelling aroma, was a, a stench smelling aroma. It meant that it, it was pleasing to the Lord because it had the right heart. It had the right motive. It, it was the right kind of giving that was going on into this thing. So you get the picture, right? He goes on behalf of the church. You know, I don't know if you guys realize that there's a lot of times you ought to thank some of the missionaries that go on behalf of you because you ain't going. You realize that? I'm not there. A lot of you ain't there. Some of you are there just for today. But you know what I'm saying? Like, like think about it. You ought to thank them because you go on my behalf. You represent us on that field. You represent the kingdom. What ought to be given. And he puts his back to the work is what he says. He says, this is my fellow worker. This isn't the guy who just came to. To, to, to see how beautiful the scenery is and, and get on the boat and fish and, and check things out. This guy came to work. Epaphroditus is, he's not like the guy who, who said, you heard about the guy who said work fascinates me? He said, I'm just fascinated by work. I can sit and watch it all day long. This, this isn't that guy. He says, I'm here to work. I want to get involved. And Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, I want you guys to know Epaphroditus came and he's a worker. He's not a spiritual hitchhiker. He didn't come with his thumb out to catch a ride and, and get on somebody else's coattails. He came to serve alongside of me. So he's my brother. He's my fellow worker. And then this third title, he's a fellow soldier. And if you're thinking battle when you hear the word soldier, you're right, because the Christian life is not supposed to be a bed of roses. And it's when you're in life's battles that you hit. It's so good to have a good friend with you. It's so nice to have somebody who will stand alongside of you and fight with you and for you, right? This is especially true for Paul. But look at Paul. You go back across the, the book of Acts and check it out. This guy was known for trouble everywhere he went. He got opposed for everything. He gets beaten up. I don't know how many times. I didn't count it. Even nature didn't like him. He got shipwrecked. I don't know how many. Three times I think it was. He got stoned. And I ain't talking about smoking the joint. I'm talking about he got beat up with rocks. He went to jail a bunch of times, right? His first question when he went into a city was, where's the jail? Because I need to know where I'm going to stay tonight at. I'm serious. Like, read the book of Acts, man. This guy got in trouble. If you're, This would have been the guy your mama said don't hang out with. 
Right? I mean, yeah, we would have been right there, brother. We've been a lot with it. You know what I'm saying? But notice why he's in trouble every time. He's not in trouble for doing evil. Every time he gets in trouble, it's because he's being bold for the gospel. He wasn't afraid. He didn't waver. He didn't say, oh, I need to give an itch and ear what an itch and ear needs to hear. I need to tell you what I've learned in my experience and in my life. And he did it, and then he got locked up. And he did it again, and he got locked up. He got locked up because they didn't like his message. And when he was bold, he got in trouble. And when you were bold and you were in trouble, it's so nice to have a fellow, what do you call him? A fellow soldier with you saying, I'm in this battle with you, man. I'm going to walk through this battle with you. I'm going to stand with you. He wrote Timothy. Same guy we talked about last week. It's his second book. I think it was one letter. But anyway, second Timothy chapter two, we divide it into two books. Verse three says, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This mentality of battle never left. Why? Because an effective Christian is a target for the devil. You show me a Christian that says, man, I ain't got to worry about the devil. I ain't never worried. He ain't never doing nothing. I'm going to show you a Christian that the devil ain't worried about either. Because if he ain't attacking you, he ain't worried about you. And if he ain't worried about you, that means you ain't doing nothing beneficial for the kingdom. Right? Jesus talked and he said, man, there'll be times when your own family comes against you because of my gospel. Now, that's rough and that's tough. But that's the reality. Paul says, I'm so grateful for Timothy. I'm so grateful for Epaphroditus standing alongside of me in battle. Maybe you should just, 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 this is just a side note if you don't do it right now. But if you've got somebody in your life who stands with you when things get rough, a, a spiritual battle, physical battle, whatever, acknowledge them. Acknowledge them. Call them and tell them. Text them. Stop by and visit them. Say, man, I am thankful for you. I am thankful for what you've stood with me for. I am thankful for just being there. Do it. One of my, one of my favorite scenes, you're talking about being united, working together, man. I don't know how many of you watch old. Crystal tells me now that she's in law school, I get to watch my own movies. Beforehand, she had control of the remote because I just wanted to be with her on the couch and I would watch some of the girliest shows that there was out there. And I'm OK with that because I want to be with my woman. Right. But now that she's in law school, she'd be in there studying. I'd be watching some stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like some stuff I can't recommend to you guys. So don't take it that way. Right. But one of my old classics that I can recommend that I love is Gladiator. In the beginning, of Gladiator, you remember like there, there's this battle going. They're shooting fiery arrows. And, but if you watch it. These soldiers on, 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 on the Roman side, they get together and they link their shields together. And, and they hold it at the right angle. And it stopped them by linking together and holding it at the right angle. It stops all those fiery arrows that are coming because it builds a wall because they're linked together. And then this weird thing happens. And you've seen it in other movies as well. They start singing. They got, they got their shields all together, fiery arrows coming down, and they just are singing. And why are they singing though? They're moving forward. You see, there's some people in the church that want to sing, but they don't want to battle. Right. And when I look at that scene and I think about that, I'm like, man, that right there is where it's at. We're not only supposed to be singing. We're supposed to be singing while we're moving. We're supposed to be singing while we're battling. We're supposed to be linked together so tight that we've got a protective wall amongst us that saves every single one of us in this room. Right. You know, Nehemiah, remember, he got called. What did he get called for? I need you to fill in the gaps. He told his men, fill in the gaps of these walls. Fill in the gap if a soldier drops. Fill in the gap if there's a need that needs to be addressed. And some of the greatest thing you can do is just if you see a need, address it. And these songs that they sing, they're meant to encourage them and they're, they're meant to boost them with courage. Don't just sing a song and get excited and then do nothing. Sing a song and get into battle. Encourage one another to push on, man. He says, my brother, my worker, my soldier. And then just, just the fourth description that he has, I ain't got a lot for it. He says, your messenger. He's your spokesman. He's your the other translations. If you if you if you get it from from. From the original language says ambassador, you're delicate. The word we get apostle from. 
You sent him on a task. He volunteered to travel these 800 miles and he's your messenger. He's done it. He represents you guys. Fifth thing he calls him. Fifth thing Paul mentions about Ephroditus. He says, look, look at back in verse 25 one more time. The one who ministered to my need. So you got a brother, you got a worker, you got a soldier, you got a messenger, and then you got the one who ministered to my need. Now, this takes it even cool right here, because in reality, I'll ask Cliff, because we kind of honest guys, right? Some of y'all want to sugarcoat stuff and be holy. What What is Epaphroditus? Is it just, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for that one. Don't say that anymore, right? <laughs> He's a messenger boy, right? That's all he is. That's the viewpoint we got in a worldly sense. He's an errand boy. You take a letter here, you bring a letter back. That's all he is. A gopher, there you go. But the word he uses here, go back to the Greek. L-E-I-T-O-O-U-R-G-O-S. Because I can't say it, right? <laughs> this word that he uses, it's, it's a particular term. Literugosis, right? It, it speaks of a sacred duty. Now, now, when you when, right, that's where we get the word liturgy from. But but when you get this word and you understand what it means in the original language, what he's saying is this gopher, this messenger boy. I'm elevating his simple job to a sacred task. He's changed it. It's something that we would use in describing something a priest was about to do. He's elevated the little thing into a sacred task. Do you do that with your own jobs? Or do you come up tomorrow morning? How many of y'all going to be? Out? I can't believe the Lord's brought me to this place again. I don't know why I'm here. I hate this job. I hate this place. I hate these people. Are you going to open your eyes and see me? God's got me here for an appointment. God's got me here because he's called me to to embrace this calling and to reach somebody and to share a kind word with somebody who stops by or to to uplift one of my co-workers or or to help somebody who's in need, right? I love that Paul does this with Epaphroditus because he's a nobody. His family named him after a Greek goddess. Right. He's as far gone as as you can get from history. And and then he's got no famous position. But Paul uses this word and he says, I'm going to bring up this this little work that you're doing. And I want you to look at it like a sacred duty. Kind of like the 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 wife, uh, the the, the housewife. She has a sign above her sink that read divine service rendered here three times daily. She acknowledges the fact that God has called her to minister to her family. And that is a sacred duty of the Lord. You understand the difference? You ain't got to have a title and a big spot. You just got to be doing what God called you to do. You got to be performing what God's called you to perform. And you can you can learn to look at people through strengths and their attributes and their qualities. Or you can do what we've probably been doing and notice their faults. I don't think this kind of attitude comes naturally. It didn't come naturally for Paul. Think about it. Paul, the first time he approaches the same situation, he explodes. He sends a fellow brother off on his own. He talks trash about another missionary guy that was going to be there. That ain't the way it's supposed to be, right? This don't come naturally. We pick out faults. We look for the things that are wrong with people. We want to uplift ourselves, right? But if you get trained by the grace of God, you can start looking for positive traits in people. You can see good things in the worst people. Man, my wife is so good at that. I can tell you right now, y'all go ahead and write it down right now. In 18 months, when she graduates and she's a lawyer, she's going to represent some punk that I want to beat up. I'm, 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 telling, I'm just going to be honest with you. You know what I'm saying? I ain't going to sugarcoat it for mine. I'm going to say he put himself there. You don't need to be helping him because that's me. And that's wrong. She'd be out there. You don't understand the situation he was in. You, she'll paint that thing so pretty. She'll make me feel so bad. I know it's coming. I'm already ready for it. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just ready to get on my knees and say, sorry, baby. Maybe I'll get to beat him one day and apologize to him, too, for having ill toward thoughts. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's that we're not wired this way. So I need a little bit to learn more of God's grace. I need a little bit more understanding that I can find good even in the worst people. Right. I will always remind her we're going to be poor lawyers because she chose to represent people like that. But <laughs> notice the we, but I ain't going to no law school. <laughs> there, there's there's a woman who always complimented people, drove her friends nuts. So everywhere she went, she was just complimenting people. Friend looks at her and says, you'll even compliment the devil, wouldn't you? She goes, well, he is a persistent fellow. <laughs> you got to find the good in everybody. Second thing, which I've already hit on a lot. Or tried to hit on a lot with, with how we got here. So first principle, you acknowledge your strengths, how you deal with, 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 with failures, how you deal with, with, with shortcomings. And the second thing is this, you just accept their shortcomings. Just accept people's shortcomings. People ain't the same as you. This guy's willing to make 800 miles, six week journey. Comes from Rome. He gets sick. The Philippians find out he's sick. Then they worry about him and he worries about them and we got this whole thing where he gets homesick. Verse 25, Paul says, I considered it necessary to send you back. It it was good for me to have to send you back. His attitude of dealing with this guy's shortcomings changes everything. It changes his attitude on how he deals with the brother. So write this down. Here's your really only main point for this little section right here, right? Don't just write people off because of their shortcomings. Don't write people off because they aren't like you. Don't write people off because of dot, 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 whatever your dots are. Stop writing people off. Paul did. He grew. Then I got to share this part just because to me, anytime it's there, it's got to be there. Verse 20 says, for indeed he was sick. This is the same word used for Lazarus, by the way, in case y'all didn't catch it. All right, this, this word sickness, because he says he was sick almost unto death. This is no small thing. This guy almost died. You know what I'm saying? Like he recovered and the scripture doesn't tell us there was this miracle healing. And it doesn't tell us anything about this. So I just jotted down. Everything don't have to be a miracle for you to acknowledge God. What did he say? He said this guy was sick almost unto death and, and the Lord provided for him and got him out of there. Wasn't no miraculous thing. It wasn't no super cool story that he could share with everybody. It was just a small thing that happened. He said, you know what? God ain't got to do big miraculous things for me to acknowledge him. I acknowledge him in the little things. Right? It leads on to, to this third kind of point, which I'm going to read 27, at least through 29 all together. But the third thing is this. I told you two were short, so you ought to be praising the Lord for that. Acknowledge strengths. Right? Accept their shortcomings. And number three, last one, affirm their sacrifice. Look at what he says, 27 through 29. <clears throat> Paul's honesty here is he writes to Philippians. He says, indeed. Which is kind of like really saying, really, man. Really, man, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me, too. Because I don't know about the sorrow that would have come upon sorrow had I lost his brother, my friend, my worker. For this reason, I am eager to send him to you so that you can rejoice to seeing him again so that I and he may both be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor. Now, that don't sound like the original Paul, does it? What he called? He said, take your little weasel cousin and get on out of here. This guy, he says, I want you to hold people like this guy up with honor. I want you to represent this guy. I want you to to love on this guy. I want you to regard his life and all that God has done inside of him and hold him up in such high. I want you to love him like Jesus loved him. I want you to welcome him like Jesus would welcome him, right? He says, this this guy, this guy that you've got working with me, and and I got to point this out too. You notice how sick he was? That's where I was going to go a minute ago. I'm sorry. 
Oh, I got excited about the other part. You notice how sick he was? He was with Paul in that sick. I wrote this down. It, it blew my mind. I said, how can somebody with Paul be that sick? I mean, I don't know if you've read Acts. Paul had so much healing power. They took his sweatbands off his head after he worked out and threw them on sick people and they got better. Uh, could you imagine leaving the gym with your sweatbands and just peeling them off and throwing them on people so they magically got better? That's the guy. Now, I don't know if he was leaving the gym. Don't be taking that to heart, okay? But it does say they took his sweat rags for real and threw sweat rags on sick people and sick people got better. This guy was full of miraculous healing. So how does somebody with him get sick? Here's a point you better write down. You ready for it? Here, it's going to blow your mind. Christians can get sick. Did you get it? You got it? You understand it? Y'all laugh. I'm telling you right now. You thought this was an old thing. I tell you, I can't tell you how many believers I had telling me, oh, I can't get COVID, Pastor. I'm a believer. Well, I ain't read that in the verse yet. There's not a verse I read that says you can't get COVID because you magically love Jesus. I assure you, my wife loved Jesus, but she got COVID. Right? You, 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 you can't say that. Christians get sick. Write it down. Understand it. Here's some more honesty. If you think you're a child of God and all you got to have is faith to get healed, you're wrong sometimes. Some of y'all think you go into church, get slapped on the head, shout hallelujah, and all your sicknesses is gone. That ain't what happens. It says Epaphroditus got sick. He almost died. Paul admits how serious it is. He don't sugarcoat it. I mean, if you want more missionary journey, more missionaries to come to you, Daniel Lord, you would write it this way, would you not? Well, he had a little cold. He's better now. We gave him some time. Now we're going to send him back home. You wouldn't tell him he almost died. Ain't nobody going to want to come to Puerto Rico if you're telling people people's dying. Right? But Paul's honest. He admits it. He goes, he almost died. It was real, 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 real bad. And if that ain't the only one, Paul, Paul doesn't sugarcoat nothing, right? He says that Timothy, this, this, is, this is good lesson right here. This is going to be a soapbox, but I'm going to go into it, right? Timothy, he gets sick. And, and, and here's what he writes to Timothy in the book of Timothy. So you little holy rollers, be careful, right? He says, Timothy, I know you got some stomach problems going on. You need to drink some wine. Don't laugh. You know them Baptist people having a fit right now because I said drink wine. Right? That's what he tells him. Now, he don't say get drunk. You know what I'm saying? He says you need to drink the wine as a medicine. Now, here's what I want to point out he doesn't say. Right? For our little holy roll of things that, that think some answers just ain't simple. He said, if there is a solution in the medicine, take the medicine. You understand what he's saying? This ain't rocket science, he's saying, guys. He's saying if the solution is simple, then take the medicine. When you laugh, I'm serious. We are so messed up in our little religious bubbles that we don't think simple answers can just come. It's simple. Paul looks at Timothy and says, man, why are you writing me about this? Just take the medicine. If they make a solution through medicine, take the medicine. He didn't say go to a prayer service. He didn't say go to the healing service. He didn't say run down to the Pentecostals because they're crazy and they bounce off the walls and let them touch you. He didn't say that. He said go home and drink some wine. Now, how many of y'all, you got something going on and you're afraid to take medicine because you don't think it's holy enough? Hear me right now. That is a dumb excuse. Is that honest enough for you? My wife's shaking her head, so that means I done got in trouble. It's all right. I get in trouble every Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's good for me. It makes for a lot of makeup time during the week. Right? Stay with me. Huh? It's kind of like we do with holidays. I hate to get back to <laughs> We, we, we try to complicate things. It ain't complicated. We try to make things religious. You ain't got to make everything religious. 
If you live in a kingdom style life, your life is kingdom style. You ain't got to purposely try to make something religious that ain't religious. Well, I'm a, I'm a pray before I go see the doctor. No, he's a doctor. Go see him. Well, he prescribed this, but I'm a pray and go down. No, he prescribed it. You take it. Now, I ain't saying don't investigate and check stuff out. Now, don't hear me wrong, okay? But I'm telling you, use common sense is what Paul's saying. All right, I'm going to get off of that because my wife's shaking her head a lot. All right. You got Epaphroditus. You got Timothy. Oh, I was talking about Timothy's honesty. They both got sick. If you read a little bit later, uh, uh, Trumpius, the Ephesian, from the book of Ephesians, he got sick. Second Timothy chapter 4. Paul says that brother got so sick I had to leave him. You understand Paul's honesty? Christians get sick. It's all right. It ain't the end of the world. If your faith crumbles because you got a cold, my God, you got some weak faith. You know what I'm saying? Seriously, that's what he goes into. Godly people get sick. Paul talked about himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. What did he say? I got this, this thorn in my flesh that won't go away. We don't know what it was. Some people believe it was his eyesight. Some people believe it was other stuff. I don't care. He had a problem that didn't get solved and he had to deal with it. And the Lord told him, he said, by, by, you, by me not solving it, You'll have to rely on my grace and my glory a little bit better. And Paul says, amen. Sometimes God's going to give you some, some weaknesses so that you got to rely on him. And that's a good thing, right? Godly people get sick. It don't mean you got a lack of faith. It don't mean there's something wrong with you. You hear me? You live in a fallen world. That's what's wrong with you. We all there. All right, we're going to get to a raised kingdom, though, I promise you, right? Now, I don't understand physical healing, but I do love when it happens. You would ask me, hey, how did, how did that healing take place? I have no idea. Google it. That's all I can tell you. I really talk to a doctor. I don't know, right? But but what I hate, I'm being serious, man. What I hate is when we tell people, oh, you just ain't got enough faith to be healed. That's not biblical. That is not biblical. Do you hear me? Because we say that in the church. Oh, if you just had enough faith, man, it would have. We, when the devil gets our brains thinking that, we say it ourselves. Oh, if I just had more faith. If I would have just prayed a little harder. If I, if I would have done this, right? Let me tell you, I promise you. I prayed for people. You've noticed. I prayed for people that I watched raise up out of a deathbed when they cut a machine off. Okay? And I prayed the same prayer and watched somebody get sicker and die. I promise you my faith wasn't wavering after, because the second one came after the first one. Now, that may have been just the Lord providing for me because I had a little weakness I needed. But when you watch somebody raise up from the dead, straight up, I'm telling you, man, when you watch that, you got a lot of faith when you go to the hospital the next time. You know, I'm ready to just walk up in there and heal everybody. Just, just start pointing them out. You know, you get up, you get up, and you get up. Like, that's how I felt. So when I went the second time, it was there. It was more there than it had ever been there. Second time, that baby died. You going to tell me it's because I had a lack of faith? Or how about let's just acknowledge the fact that we, sold, we serve a sovereign God that's going to do some healing sometime and ain't going to do some healing sometime, and we just got to be okay with it. We don't know his greater plan and what he's got going on. And it's not biblical to say it's a lack of faith that causes it, okay? So stop saying that. I guarantee you, Paul and Epaphroditus were praying all over him, right? All right. I might get off of it now. I don't know where I'm at in my notes. He was sick. He affirms him. The guy's sacrifice. Oh, here we go. Affirming somebody's sacrifice. That's where I was preaching from, right? He said that this guy right here, guys, he was so sick, he was willing to go to the next level, right? So you need to, you need to, you need to affirm somebody's sacrifice. Look at what he says, 29. Hold this guy in respect, admire him, respect him, right? He's telling the Philippian church how to approach this guy and how to hold this guy and reunite this guy back into the body. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I just want to throw this out there just in case. Understand, this is kind of like one of them side things, right? Don't know for sure if it's there. and I think it's a little bit more here than there, right? If he's writing this, Paul's discernment, Paul's greatness, right? 
if he's writing this, is there a chance that maybe the Philippian church looked at this brother like he was weak since he didn't complete the job? We sent this guy to do this job. And he didn't do it right. He couldn't even stay the whole time. You are an embarrassment to us. Paul says, don't you approach him that way. Don't you take him back that way. When he comes back in there, you love him like Jesus would love him. Right? So I'm just throwing out a maybe Paul knew a little bit more than, than he was leading. And he's assuring them, this is not about this guy's failure. You love on this guy. He's done a good job. Even though his work was mostly being a gopher and an errand boy and a messenger, it was still, what does he say in the verse? It was still the work of Christ. Man, if we would understand that. Do we take time to acknowledge all the jobs other people do in the kingdom? Or only the famous people in the kingdom? I don't know how you famous in the kingdom because ain't but one king, but anyway. Right? Do, do we acknowledge that? Do we acknowledge the fact that people who are willing to go to levels we wouldn't go to, who are willing to do things we can't do? You know what I'm saying? Go back to that body illustration that he gave in Corinthians, right? We ought, we ought to start showing some more appreciation for people who do the jobs we don't want to do. Because every job, every position makes a difference. Every worker ought to be appreciated. Verse 30, this phrase that he uses. I love knowing, you know, we talk about language a lot of times. When you know who he's writing to, you know some of the words he uses. This right here is really cool, right? Verse 30, not, not regarding his life. Now, that phrase seems to make sense, right? The willingness to put the work of Christ first and go ahead of his personal safety and, and what he desired. The, the Greek phrase here, who he's writing to, what they would have been speaking, right? It would have been a gambler's word. It would have been like if you were sitting down at the table getting ready to roll dice or if you were gambling and throwing down money on the card, this would have been the phrase they used. Not regarding his life. I can't say the word, so use Blue Letter Bible and check it out, right? It says that he would risk everything. Risk everything for the sake of Jesus. He's saying, guys, Epaphroditus, he's willing to risk. He he's not making me send him home. He's willing to risk his life and die right here. If I would make it, he's willing to risk it all. Little church history here. I don't know if you guys ever study anything outside of about 60 AD. I know some of y'all think like, oh, all goodness, stop then, right? Not I'm saying anything extra holy was written. I'm not adding to scripture. But if you study a little bit of your church history, there's some cool stuff that takes place. About 65 A.D., which has been a little bit after the book, the end of Acts and Paul's letters and all that kind of stuff. Right. The early church had a group of people that they called themselves gamblers. Here's why they're called gamblers, because in the language, it would mean risk takers, risk takers. Here's why that, that, that same word right used. Their aim was to go to people that was so sick that it was dangerous to go to them, go to areas of the earth. that were so dangerous to be with them. Go to people that were so sick that their, their disease was so infectious that it would scare people to get it and die. They would go to cities where there was plagues, where people would literally just throw the bodies on the street and flee and run away. So they didn't have to be. They would go through the streets, tend to the sick, bury the dead just for here was their creed. We will our lives to show the love of Jesus. Risk takers, gamblers. I know some of y'all hear that word. Y'all like he talking about wine and gambling in the church. Yeah, it's scriptural, though, so it's all right. Right. Write it down this way if you like it. Right. Are you a gambler for Christ? Are you willing to risk it all? Now, what that means is this. You're like, well, pastor, you can't say gambler for Christ because Christ is on our team. He is. But I just now also told you he ain't promised you healing and success when you do something either. So it is a risk. It can be a risk for him because you're OK with his results, but it's still a risk. Am I right? So are you going to be a risk taker? Look at the end of verse 30. Last part. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life. There it is to make up 
what was lacking in your ministry to me. I read that last line and I was like, dang, that blatant honesty, right? Like something, we can't ignore that. We can't ignore what Paul is saying here, right? Here's what he's saying. He's saying this guy had the heart to know that as good as you guys were doing. Remember, this is his Jew church. Now, this is the church he's in love with. Ain't no denying it, right? This ain't Corinthians. This is Philippians, right? He loves these guys. He's saying, but, but, but even all the good you've done, there's something still lacking in your service. And this guy came to fill that gap. We should be not satisfied with good intentions or halfway done jobs as believers in Christ. We should push on to greatness. We've talked about how good this church is and how, how good they are. Let's stop settling for good enough and aim for greatness. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I got a little joy. I was, I was telling Dawn right at, the, right at the back. You know, she ain't been there in a, in a few, well, while other than yesterday to see everything. I said, you need to walk into and the other bill, I was excited. We done tore down a wall and we done added a wall. And, and uh, what if we just stop? Well, we got a nice big nursery. We should just not build nothing else. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we removed one wall. We shouldn't remove any else. What if we stopped? Or what if we said, you know what? Let's just build a whole daggum building complex across the street. Because 20 or 30 years ago, they got that land. And 20 or 30 years ago, I believe that brother right there put a well across the street on the ground over there. Right? You know what I'm saying? We got one boo who are just willing to risk it all for the faith. Everybody else is like, hold on, Pastor, you're talking about spending money. We can't spend no money. Why? You going to bring it with you when you die? Huh? Why? Why? Why are we so afraid of change? Why are we so afraid of growth? That lady come in yesterday dropping off flowers for the funeral. And she goes, I didn't expect such a big complex out here in the country. <laughs> I looked at that woman. I said, what you trying to say? She said, well, I just didn't expect it. I'm going to build a ginormous one across the street one day so that somebody else in the next generation can have somebody deliver flowers. And they can say, I had no idea. There was 13 acres and 4,500 square foot of building across the street in Gibeon, South Carolina. You know what I'm saying? Why? Why we got to think small? Think big. Risk it all. For Jesus, not for yourself. Paul gets a change of heart, man. I know we close with that, and that's a strong point about risking it all. But, but the main lesson, Paul gets that change of heart. He says, I don't want to look at this brother like I looked at other brothers. I don't believe John Mark was the first brother Paul had a problem with in the church. I, I don't believe it. Not, not by the way Paul was wired, not by his attitude. I believe it's the first one he spoke out against. I believe it's the first one he shared his thoughts about. But I don't believe that's the only one. And Paul says, I had, I had some wrong thoughts about other brothers years ago. And I look at this brother now through the lens of Jesus. And I see that I need to handle it differently. Make sure you check in how you treat or mistreat imperfect people. Right? Because you might not get the second opportunity that Paul got. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. God, I'm grateful that sometimes we need to hear some hard truths that we need to change some of the attitude and mindset that we got. So, God, I pray more than just hearing it, Lord God, that you will now give us the discernment, the courage, and the strength, Lord God, to, to act on it. God, help us to acknowledge where we may have treated people and had ill thoughts toward people wrong. Help us to change our eyes, Lord God. 
Where we see people the way you see them. Where we see their good and not their bad. Where we see their, their benefits. Their blessings. Rather than the curses in their pasts. And God, if maybe we look in the mirror and see that same stuff in us, Lord God, help us to get past that as well. Move us, Lord God, in such a mighty way, Lord God. Help us to be willing to risk change to change for you. Your great and holy name we pray. Amen.